Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our worship and executive pastor, Jeff Carrico. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Amen, amen. We are so glad that you are here. What's going on, Uncommon Church? How are you doing? You doing great? You guys look good out there. I'm glad to see each and every one of you. And let me tell you, that means a lot coming from me. I don't do well in large groups of people. Um, I'm that person that like has an empty elevator and I'm like pushing, actively pushing the closed door button when I see people coming. And I'm like, I don't know why it's closing. I don't... So when I say I'm glad to see you, I genuinely am glad to see you. I'm glad to be with you today. It's such an honor that I have this opportunity to speak to you this morning. And we're just gonna jump right into it um, because I have a lot to cover and not that much time. So if you are taking notes, write quickly. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited about this sermon though because I feel like it's something that God has been dealing with me on for the past few months. And I just know if it's challenging me and it's making me rethink some things in my life, then it has to be something that would challenge each and every one of us and something that we're probably going through uh, together, right? And so if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles or turn on your phone. If you don't have a Bible app or, your, uh, or a physical Bible, we'll put it up on the screen for you. But go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 23. And what I want to do here is I want to kind of um, use this verse to set up where we're going today. And uh, while you're going there, I want to give you some context as to what's happening in this chapter. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. Well, Matthew chapter 7 and where we're going, verse 13 through 23, is really the conclusion of what, of, of teachings that Jesus did that start in Matthew chapter five and go through chapter seven that we call the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's like Jesus is giving these teachings on what it looks like to live in the kingdom that he is bringing, okay? That's what he's, he's telling these people. And so he's been teaching them all of this. And we come to chapter seven and he's given the conclusion to everything he said, all right? And that's where we pick up. So Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, and it says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go through it, and then he says, narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Now, I just want to stop right there. We have to remember who Jesus is speaking to right now. He's speaking to people in a culture that would be um, familiar with cities and towns and kingdoms being surrounded by gates or fences uh, walls, sorry, walls or fences, and they would have gates for you to enter into that kingdom, enter into that city, enter into that domain. And so he's giving them this picture of these two gates, this narrow gate that is a gateway that the path leads to life. And then he gives them another gate that is a gate that leads to destruction. And he says, wide is that gate, meaning that it's really easy to find your way through that. Okay? So then he goes on to say, be on your guard against false prophets 
Now, he's still continuing, uh, continuing his thought process here. This isn't like a separate statement, okay? So there's two gates, one that leads to life, one that leads to destruction. Be on guard for false prophets. Now, this word prophets or false prophets that use here can be defined two different ways or translated two different ways. It can be a prophet, like a person who is getting a divine revelation from God, and if they're a false prophet, that means that they are given a false prophecy, a false knowledge of God that they're speaking. But the other translation is a false teacher or a person who is proclaiming to know the truth, but through actions and words is teaching or living differently than that. So he says, be on guard for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging or destructive wolves. So he gives us this picture here of people who look innocent, who look godly, who look just like other people on the outside, but on the inside, their life is really going through this gate that he just mentioned this gate of destruction that leads to destruction. And he says, be careful of them, all right? And then we pick it up after that. So he's like, given us this example of people who look like everyone else around them that's following the way of truth, but they don't have that on the inside. And so he gives us this next line so we can figure out, okay, well then how do we tell who is actually following this pathway and he says this, he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. And I want you to hold on to that. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Look at your neighbor and say fruit. I'm just joking. Do <laughs> you imagine if you just walked up to someone randomly and just said fruit? <laughs> You're insane. You'll recognize them by their fruit. And then he says that, are grapes gathered in thorn bushes or figs and thistle? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but every bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A little bit of a tongue twister there. And every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is setting us up for where he's about to go. Remember, this is the conclusion of the whole thing of what life in the kingdom looks like, the kingdom that he's bringing, okay? And so he's setting, he's setting us up and he's giving us this picture of two gates. They're the same thing, right? Two gates that lead to two different kingdoms, but they contrast in that one leads to life and one leads to destruction. And the pathway that leads to life is what? It's narrow, it's hard to get to because it takes discipleship, it takes structure, it takes you looking for it, you cultivating something in your life. And Jesus tells us in his ministry what that looks like to step into that kingdom that kingdom that leads to life. He tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if you want to get to the Father, you have to go through what? Through me. And then he just blatantly says it 
in John, in John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. Well, that makes it easy. I am the gate and those who enter into me will be saved and they will go in and out and they will find a path to pastures or rest or life. Now, remember when Jesus has given us these pictures of these two gates, he's not talking about eternal life necessarily or eternal destruction. Eventually, yes, but he's talking about the kingdom that is coming now. So he's talking about stepping into the kingdom of life right now, walking in a life that looks like a life-giving kingdom, or stepping into a kingdom that looks like destruction, where you're giving destruction with your life. So that's what he gives us, these two contrasting things. And then he goes to the next one and gives us another contrasting thing. You'll see people who look similar to you, but on the inside... They're not. They might look like you. They might talk like you. They might go to church like you. But on the inside, they don't know who I am. They're not walking the pathway of life. And then he says this, there are two trees, a bad tree that produces bad fruit and a good tree that produces, there are two trees that look similar, but one is producing good fruit, one is producing bad fruit. What Jesus is doing here is he is setting us up for the next thing that's coming because it's about to be kind of a punch in the teeth to the people that are listening to him because he's giving us this system And he's setting up how we can identify if our life is a life in the kingdom or a life that is the life of a kingdom of death or destruction. He's saying these are the identifiers because you have two ways that you can go, either life or destruction. Some people think they're on the pathway of life but are on the pathway of destruction. And you'll know them by their fruit. And then Jesus says this to drive the point home. This has all been a setup for these two verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he says this, and on that day, the day of judgment where we stand before him, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? And then Jesus will say to them, he'll announce to them, I never knew you or I don't know you. Depart from me. And I gotta say, I can see why Jesus had this set up for what he was about to say, because that last verse there, it really kind of messes with us. It kind of messes with our theology a little bit, right? Which is funny that the words of Jesus would mess with our theology. I'm preaching to me too. Side note. I don't have time for this side note, but side note, it is your responsibility as a follower of Christ 
everything you hear from this stage, everything that you hear in a podcast, read in a book, that you hold it up to what the word of God says. And if it does not line up with the word of God, you don't put it in your life. We have to be people that don't just listen and say, that's good, I'm gonna change my whole life for that. But we actually put it up against what the word of God says. Because if not, we read scriptures like this and we're like, but how can that be? How can that be, Jesus? And we think it's because they're demon-possessed or they're doing demonic things. Or I'm reading this and the way that I read it and the way that it's translated To me, this is people who are very convinced that they have done the right thing. Because they, it's almost with this confidence that they come before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we speak in tongues? Didn't we get slain in the spirit that one time? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we tithe? Didn't we go to you group? Didn't we do all of these things in your name? And he says, I don't know who you are. Why? (laughs) They are familiar with the power of the name of Jesus. But they don't know the presence and the person of Jesus. Whew. Because you see, the thing is, is there's nothing that I can do. Nothing that I can do to prove that I am a Christian, that I am a follower of Christ. It is only by me walking in the spirit and producing fruit of that spirit that I can prove that I am a follower of Christ. The proof is in the fruit. A visual learner, okay? So if you like write something down to me, probably not gonna learn it. If you show me like a puppet show, locked. It's in here forever. <laughs> also, because you like, I don't know, did a puppet show. <laughs> Who does that? So I'm gonna help you out, okay? I have two pots here. If I take, by the way, this is a bag of seed. I was like, what's the smallest bag of seed you have? And they're like, this whole giant thing. And I was like, okay, we'll take that. (laughs) If I take this, and if you want to go ahead and pour that soil in that one, God, please don't let it get on the ground. That's good. Can we give it up for Albert? (laughs) The weird thing about it is like, I didn't even tell him to bring that. He just had that with him. No. (laughs) If I take this seed here, right? And I put it in this pot, in this soil. It's a lot of seed. There's a lot of things that are going to come up from this. (laughs) A lot of things. Bless it, Lord. (laughs) And I put it in this soil. And then I take this, whatever this is, water thing. And I water it.
If I take this seed, if I plant it, if I put it in good soil and I water it, by the way, I just need to be just completely honest and upfront. This is a terrible illustration for me personally. I like killed my grass this past year. I don't, I like, I did all of this work and I came home one day and everything was dead. All of the good grass, I guess there's like certain times you're supposed to water it and I guess you can overfeed it. I don't know, but so whether I water this or not, it's gonna die. But let's pretend like I can grow stuff, okay? I've planted this seed, I've watered it, it's in good soil. What happens? Eventually, this seed will grow because I've cultivated it, I've taken care of it, and it'll grow and it'll turn into something that looks like this. Whoo, Albert again, with the plant. It will bring forth life and start producing fruit. And some of you people are out there right now judging me because those are flowers and not fruit. You try growing an apple tree in two weeks for a sermon illustration, it's not gonna happen. So get over yourself and pretend like this is fruit. All fruit comes from a flower, just in case you were wondering. But it produces fruit and life. And I know when I look at this, a seed was planted here and it was cultivated and it brought forth life and it brought forth fruit. How amazing. Now check this out. If I take this pot right here and I take this seed and I put it in the pot, notice I don't have to take this seed Take it out back, curb stomp it, light it on fire for it not to grow. All I have to simply do is what? Neglect it. Just not do anything to it. It will never grow. It will never grow. And I think that is what's happening to a lot of us today in the church is that we are neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we are not seeing fruit produced from our life. We're not seeing fruit produced from our life. And the fact of the matter is, what does that do? It ruins our testimony as a believer. Why? Because fruit is not for you. Fruit is for the people around you. If you think about in nature what fruit is for, it's so an animal or something will take that, eat it, and spread the seed. Wow. It's the same for you and I. Walking in the Spirit should look like producing fruit that is then taken by the people around us and the seed is then spread. But we neglect it. We neglect it. And you see, Jesus, when he was telling this story about the two gates, about living the life of the kingdom, walking through that gate, he was very clear with his disciples that in order for them to go through that gate, to live the life that he was living, to walk it out, that what would have to happen the Holy Spirit would have to work in them. And that it would be through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
that they would be able to live out the things that Jesus did. And he says, and also call to memory the things that I taught. Because the thing is, is we have to be walking in a life guided by the Spirit if we truly want to live out this life in Christ. And when we don't, when we neglect that in our life, when we don't cultivate the Spirit in our life, we look like the dead potted plant. You'll be known by your fruit. You'll be known by your fruit. We aren't known by the things that we do. We're known by the things that we produce. I'm about to say two things that might be controversial. Everybody's like, I love controversy. <laughs> it's 2021. Everything's controversy. I think there are two areas that the church has really gone astray in the Christian walk and what it looks like to mature and to really be living a successful Christian life, if you want to call it that. The first thing is this. We have judged a person's spiritual maturity and walk with Christ by the gifts of the spirit they produce. We're judging people by the gifts of the spirit. We see someone who's giving a word of prophecy, someone who's speaking in tongues over there, someone who's what, healing, casting out demons. And we're like, that must be a mighty man or woman of God. That's why we see so many people that keep falling off the rails in ministry because they have been judged and held their self in, in a high esteem by the things that are gifts to them. The gifts of the spirit are never the proof of the spirit living inside of you. Yeah, you can clap. The gifts of the spirit are a benefit of the spirit. And can I just be honest with you? There are plenty of examples in the Bible of people that did miraculous things that did not know God. The gifts of God are irrevocable. I'll leave that there. The other thing that we have done in the church, and this one's gonna hurt, okay? This one has really challenged me. It's this, God help me. We have used holiness as a covering or to cover the fact that we don't have wholeness with the Spirit. And it's really quiet. <laughs> this is what I mean by that. We have set up things that we can and cannot do so that it looks like we're walking this life. Can I tell you that's no better than the law? 
And can I tell you this? And this is something that breaks my heart when I think about it, when I really just think about the different things that I've done personally, that we hold up this list of you can't do this. Don't sleep with people you're not married to. Don't do drugs. Don't go get plastered. Don't, you know, cheat on your taxes or whatever. We list these, don't wear certain clothes. Don't cover your head or cover your, we do all of these things and we hold it up as holiness. And we say, because I follow this list, I am holy. (laughs) Because I follow these things, I am holy. But can I tell you something? If that's the standard of what it looks like to be holy before the Lord, why do I need the Holy Spirit? Why do I need God at all? Because people that don't know God live a good life where they don't cheat on their taxes, cheat on their spouse. They don't go get plastered, drunk, or do. If that is the standard, my God, why do we need him? But we use that because that's easy. Narrow is the path that leads to life. Narrow is the path that that leads to life. Takes cultivating to produce fruit. See, we cover up holy or we cover up wholeness with the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, not generating that in our life with holiness, which is so funny because in 2 Thessalonians. If I can find it in my notes. In 2 Thessalonians, it says that it's basically summed up as all of our efforts at holiness are worthless because sanctification is only through the Holy Spirit. Catch that? Earlier, I believe I stated that we know that it's the Holy Spirit that baptizes into the body of Christ. No one can claim the name of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And because of Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross, we can now begin to walk in this progressive sanctification through the Holy Spirit that produces fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this to you in Galatians chapter five. In Galatians chapter five, verse 19 through 25, it's so amazing because Paul, right before this, he writes this thing and he's basically like, because you were born in the, of the Spirit, now live in the Spirit. And then he says this, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, or divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, There's a word you probably haven't used unless your nickname is like Dot or something like that and you're from the 1930s. And anything similar, I am warning you about these things as I have warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's almost like he listens to Jesus' message, the Sermon on the Mount. But then he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit What your life in Christ should be producing is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. 
And then it says this, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. What does that mean? Danny, come up here quickly. I'm running out of time. Give it up for my amazing wife, Danielle. Keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm going to hold your hand. I actually just wanted to hold her hand. That's why we're up here. So, Hey, babe. So the other day I was walking with Audrey. She had a soccer game and she's amazing <laughs> in my eyes. And, <laughs> and we're walking and we're walking like this. And then every so often I would go. And she loved it. And she would catch up to me. And I'd turn. I go, one, two, three, go. And I walk. And then do it again. And when I was thinking about this scripture, thanks, babe. I got to hold my lady's hand and preach. Come on, somebody. We're done. So I'll see you guys later. But when I was thinking about this verse of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, that's the picture I got in my mind of me holding Audrey's hand and then kind of moving. And then she would catch up to me. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit that looks like a life that is submitted to the Holy Spirit. And it's a progressive thing that we walk through. That we are, current, we are constantly trying to cultivate these fruits in our life. And where the spirit leads and guides, we keep in step with him, following him. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. A few months ago, or weeks, week, month, I don't know. A while back, I <laughs> preached a message. and We had an amazing service and we kind of went long, so... Um, I, I, I turned off some of my message and I told you guys that next time I preached or one of the next times that I would speak that I would share that part of the sermon or the message with you. Well, here it is for those of you who remember. For those who don't, oh well. Really quickly, I want to take you back to the story uh, in the Old Testament when the children of Israel are going into exile. The reason I want to go to this, because if I'm thinking about the fruit of the Spirit in my life and what it should look like, that I have the manifest presence of God living in my life, it begs this question of, shouldn't I look different? Shouldn't my life look different? So, going back to the story God speaks through prophets during this time and he spoke to Ezekiel and it's in Ezekiel 10. I encourage you to read it. And he takes him to the temple in Jerusalem, which is the temple that Solomon built. And he shows him what's going on at the temple. And there's like all of this crazy, they're worshiping idols. They've completely turned their backs on God. It's terrible. And then all of the sudden he sees something come up from the temple and honestly, when you read it, you're like, this seems like when the Beatles were on acid. Like, you're like, what is this? And what it's revealed to him is that it is the presence of God. 
and he's leaving the temple because the temple is about to be destroyed. Because God's like, this is not what the plan was. We're gonna try again. So he leaves. Fast forward about 70 years. The people start coming back out of exile. And in Ezra 3, we pick up the story of Zerubbabel and he's coming back to rebuild the temple. And they're super excited about this because it's been forever since they've been able to worship in their land, worship in their temple. And so they begin to build the building process. And they get to the point where they're gonna dedicate the building. And remember who these people are. They, their whole identity is God and the promises that have been spoken. And there's been a lot of promises because when Ezekiel was given the prophetic words and visions about the destruction, he was also given, and the other prophets as well, prophetic words and visions about the hope that was to come. And so they come to this time where they're rebuilding the temple and they go to dedicate it. And the craziest thing happens. Nothing happens. And there are some that are excited. It's the younger people that are so excited that their temple is finally built. But the older people are in tears and they're mourning. Why? Because they remembered Solomon's temple. And they remembered that the manifest presence of God was in the temple. And they remembered the stories of the dedication of that temple where the fire of God fell from heaven. In fact, it's in 2 Chronicles. Let me read it to you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was this wild scene. And so when the people go to dedicate the new temple, they know the promises. They got to be thinking of the promises that were given in Ezekiel, for example. Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries. I will cleanse you from your iniquities. I will give you a heart of flesh and remove your heart of stone. And I will place my spirit within you. And you will be my people and I will be your God. Or Ezekiel 37 when he speaks and he says, I will make a covenant of peace with you and it will be a permanent covenant. And he says, I will establish and multiply you and set you up and I will be, I'll set up my sanctuary among you forever. My dwelling place will be with you. When my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. Or maybe in Zechariah chapter 2, where God says, rejoice, because I am coming to dwell among you. Many nations will join themselves together on that day and become my people, and I will dwell among you. And so they go, and they dedicate the building, and nothing happens. No fire from heaven. No many nations gathering. So they're weeping and mourning because the spirit of God never fell in that temple. On this side of the cross, we can look at the Bible and see 
in John chapter one, it says that the word became flesh and it dwelt with us. And it's interesting that he would choose that word dwelt because it's tabernacled. And it's the exact same word that's used in these prophecies. And that word that became flesh was Jesus. You see, the plan from the beginning was that God and man would walk along with each other, that we would be in his presence. And then we fell away. And so there had to be a way made for us standing again. And that was the cross. And I just want to say that so many times we get so caught up on just the cross. The cross is not the goal. The cross isn't the goal. The cross makes a way for what the goal is, but the cross is not the end game. It is a stepping stone to after the cross, to life after the cross. That's why Jesus told his disciples, it is for your benefit that I should go so that the comforter can come and be in you. So we fast forward. Jesus is ascending to heaven. And this is in closing. Jesus is ascending to heaven. And he tells the disciples, I want you to go the city, Jerusalem. And I want you to wait. And what does he say? For the promise. They still know these promises that haven't been fulfilled in Ezekiel, in Zechariah. And they go and they're in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and they're praying and they're in one accord. And all of the sudden, there is a sound like a mighty rushing wind that fills the room. And then it says tongues like fire descend on their head. It's this beautiful picture that's painted for us. And they had to realize it at the time. This looks a lot like Leviticus 9 where the spirit of God descended on the tabernacle and consumed the fire and filled the temple. This looks a lot like when the temple of Solomon was dedicated and the fire of God fell from heaven and it filled the temple. On that day, the Holy Spirit fell on his people and the next step to the end goal happened. He was in his people. The power of God descended and consumed them. We have to look different. We are the temple of God. There has to be a difference there. didn't send his spirit so that we could live in mediocrity. So that we could just check off some boxes and call ourselves holy.
He sent his spirit so that it would empower us to do what? To produce fruit. The gifts are a benefit of that, but they're not the proof. Jesus says to his disciples, he says this, he says, a new commandment I'm giving you. Love each other like I have loved you. And everyone will know what? That you are my disciples. Why? Because of your love. <laughs> because of your love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. It says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all of the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so great that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. And then he says this, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrong. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Isn't it interesting how similar that looks to the fruit of the Spirit? you'll stand with me this morning. What fruit is your life producing? I think it's sad that there's been times in my life where on the outside I look like a person that's following after Christ, but with the same tongue that prophesies or speaks or whatever it might be, is the same tongue that is saying something, speaking death over someone. And I think we're all that person sometimes, right? There's gotta be something that looks different for us. In Ezekiel, right after he gives the promise that the Spirit will be in you, he takes Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones. And he says, can these bones live? Only you know, God. Prophesy to the dry bones. And they begin to come up. Tissue starts forming. Muscles, skin, hair. And then all of a sudden, what was a dry bone becomes a living being, an army. God is showing us this is what it looks like when my spirit lives inside of you. The change is so drastic that it can only be miraculous. I gotta be honest with you, there are days where my life doesn't look like that and I wonder when people come to me and they take the fruit from my life that I'm giving them, do they leave in a path of destruction that I've left? Or do they leave in a life-giving place? 
And I think that has to be the question for each and every one of us. What fruit am I bearing? With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, for those who are here and who are watching online, if this is the first time that you've really heard anything like this, or maybe it's been a while since you've heard something like this, and you're like, I'm not even sure about the Jesus part, let alone the Holy Spirit part. Well, I just want you to know that question, that tugging that you have right now, that is the Holy Spirit working right now in you. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Man, God loves you so much that His Spirit is working on you right now. And if you want to choose that gate, that you step into it and you experience salvation in life, today is your day. Because Jesus has made a way for you. And He's brought you from death to life if you'll believe in him so this morning if that's you for the first time or the first time in a long time if you're like you know what I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life if that's you can you raise your hand no one's looking around we just want to pray for you I want to know who I'm praying for is there anyone here I see your hand Can we pray this together? Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn from my old life and I step into new life in you. Lead me by your spirit. Let my life produce good fruit. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the cross. And I believe that you died for me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who said yes to Jesus today? Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.